Amen. Good to see you tonight. How many, good to be in the house of God tonight. Glory to God. So appreciate, again, this, this invitation to be here. It's been eight years, I think, since I've been uh, this neck of the woods. Amen. It's so good to be back. I thought it was going to be a lot colder. I brought every piece of winter clothes I own. It's about three or four <laughs> pieces, and so... Uh, I think I only had to use one, so I'm all right. I think it's colder, actually, in Arizona. The nights are. It's, it's about 35, 40 at night, and so I'm like, man, man, God, where you call me to? <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 1. do appreciate uh, just the invitation to be here, having a, had a fantastic week. It's been a great time uh, getting to reconnect with you guys, see uh, what God is doing here. God is building a great work here. Amen. Just a wonderful spirit, wonderful presence of God uh, in all of these services. And so uh, we're going to believe God uh, for tonight. I, I have to give you some bad news. I'm not going to preach haters going to hate. <laughs> oh, come on. Why y'all do me like that? Huh? I, 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 I looked at the sermon this afternoon. I was praying about it. And um, uh, honestly, it's a, it's a, in my opinion, it's a great sermon. It's, a, it's got a lot of inside revelation. But um, it would just be a sermon that you would listen to and say, man, that's a good sermon. It might help you in a worldview uh, kind of um, uh, uh, way, so to speak. But I want to preach something tonight that uh, I believe will be a bit more practical. That as we end this revival, I want to give you uh, something you can you can take with you, something that can you can actually use and put to and help you in what God has called us to do. And so maybe somewhere you'll get to hear that sermon. Maybe I, I, pre, I, I wrote it with Pastor Richard Ruby, and so maybe he'll preach it somewhere. Who knows? But Second uh, Timothy, yeah, it sounds sad, man. You didn't even laugh at that. You're like, man, I'm going home. I felt it. I felt it. I felt it. Just stick with me. God's going to help us tonight. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 1. I mentioned um, earlier this week that I went to a pretty, you know, well-to-do school uh, uh, there in St. Louis. Curtis, have you heard of St. Louis Priory? Yeah, see, most people from St. Louis haven't even heard of it. It's the truth. I let you know. I'm not trying to. You can look it up online. I think they charge $32,000 a year to go there for high school right now. And uh, it was 8000 when I went, and so you know everything's gone up. But I didn't have 8000 to go <laughs> when I went either. But very prestigious school there. It's a college prep school. Uh, give you an idea, the graduation rate at St. Louis Priory is 98%. And when I graduated, I graduated in the class of 54 people. 100% of my class graduated. Uh, most of them went to Ivy League schools, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, uh, Brown, Dartmouth, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I think I mentioned I was looked down because I only went to state school. I went to the University of Missouri. Uh, and so um, I, I got admitted to a few Ivy League schools, but I was playing sports and different things. So when I went to school, again, I didn't fit in with these people. They were very, very elite. They were very, 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 very rich, ultra rich. Uh, maybe not like the FTX guy uh, tonight. I don't know if they have 15 billion, maybe million, but not, not the bees. And so, and so I'm saying to say 
that I was going to this school, and because I could play basketball, and then, you know, we were, we were getting a little bit better every year, and we were advancing every year, but never really that good. The school wasn't really focused on sports, and so uh, we weren't really that good. Well, our senior year, we made it to the state, my senior year, we made it to the state playoffs, and uh, we won the first round, we won the second round, and now we're going to move into the quarterfinals of state. Now, if you've been in high school sports, this is like the epitome of your life. And, and so uh, as we're practicing and getting ready, I believe that game was on a Thursday. And on Tuesday, my, my headmaster, not my, my headmaster called me into the office. And he came there with my athletic director. And long story short, they begin to tell me how I was not going to be able to play in the game coming up. They had received my grades from the, uh, uh, from, uh, the district, and long story short, because I guess I started senior slide a little too early, I was ineligible. Now, when they told me that I was already, it was hard to believe, it was crushed, this is my senior year, but they said, not only are you ineligible, but we're pretty sure, we have to double check with the city, but it sounds like that the two games you already played in, you weren't supposed to play in. No. And they said, if this all is correct, then you're going to, we're going to have to forfeit the games that we want. No. Long story short, that is exactly what happened. No. And it came down in our school. It was in the newspaper. And in this school, again, reputation is everything. So they had a meeting. I remember we had a meeting with the parents. Uh, people were asking what's going on, what happened. We want. So they did this whole meeting with our team and the parents, some of the board at the school. And uh, they gave them an avenue if you want to ask questions, if you want to, you know. And, and so we had this in the cafeteria. And I remember different parents are saying different things. And this one lady, she stood up and she raised her hand and she stood up and she said, these words, I'll never forget. She said, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever been a part of. She says, embarrassing. And she kind of went on, explained, you know, it's all over the papers and the news. And, and almost before she could finish, I'm sitting next to my mother. I grew up with a single mom. My mom stood up, and after this lady said, I'm embarrassed, I'm so ashamed, et cetera, et cetera. My mom stood up and she looked at this woman and she said, I don't know why you're ashamed because this is my son and I'm not ashamed. She said, I'm not proud of what Tori's done. We've talked about it, but he's a kid and he made a mistake. I want to tell you, I'll never forget that moment. It was like something, it's like something, me and my mom were already close, but it was something literally to this day. I think it's the thing that has made our relationship inseparable. And I'll never forget, of all the things that happened in my childhood, I'll never forget my mom standing up, looking at this entire board, no doubt feeling like, man, it's on her as well, but standing up and looking at this woman and said, I'm not ashamed. The text we're going to look at tonight, the Apostle Paul, he is talking to his disciple, his young disciple, Timothy, 
And he makes this statement to him uh, in the sense of what my mom said. He gives him, he says, Timothy, no matter what you do, don't be ashamed of the gospel. I want to preach a message I've entitled Unashamed. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dealt first in your mother or your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of, of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Verse 8, here it is. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God, we come tonight by the Holy Ghost. God, I'm asking you, God, serve faith in this place. God, I'm asking you, God, to seal everything you've done this week. God, stir us, uh, God, for the lost souls. Stir us, God, to stand in these last days, God. God, let us not hunker down. God, let us not be those uh, that you can't count on, God. I'm asking you, stir faith, God. Raise us up for such a time as this, God. I'm thanking you for all you've done, and we give you glory in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Unashamed. Let's talk firstly about genuine faith. In the portion of scripture that we're looking at tonight, the Apostle Paul is towards the end of his life. And the Roman Empire, or, or, or excuse me, Emperor Nero, he had been targeting Christians, and uh, the Apostle Paul had been one of those who had been caught up in this persecution. Um, this time and place, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. He is in a very dark um, Roman cell, uh, well aware that he does not have much longer to live. Certain personal details in the letter reveal a man who is basically settling accounts, uh, and he is preparing for the inevitable. In fact, history tells us Paul would go on to be beheaded just a short little while after penning this letter. And so the Apostle Paul knows that although he, the man, is coming close to an end, the message and the ministry must go on. And Paul knows that to a great degree, it is in the hands of young Timothy. But Paul, he understood that in his absence, uh, he knew that things were going to get much more difficult for Timothy. Um, and it's so it is with this understanding that Paul begins to write this letter. Um, and the overall message that he wants Timothy to know uh, is, Timothy, you're going to have to stand in the face of opposition. Uh, that there's going to be some persecution, Timothy. There's going to be some ridicule. There are going to be people who don't agree with you, Timothy. There are going to be those, uh, they don't care about your Jesus. Uh, in fact, they don't really even want to hear about your Jesus. Uh, so Paul is in prison days from his death. Uh, and he's actually writing this letter to encourage Timothy. Uh, let me say that one more time. Paul is in prison days from his death, and he spends his letter writing to encourage someone else. That's a sermon all by itself. Listen, just because you're going through your own difficulties doesn't mean you can't still encourage other people. Um, verse 3, Paul says to Timothy, he says, without ceasing, 
I remember you in my prayers night and day. In other words, what Paul is saying, he's thinking to himself, well, perhaps I can't preach anymore, but what I can do is pray. I can still do something to make a difference. How many know if we're, as long as you're breathing, uh, as long as you're still here, oh, maybe we can't do what we wanted to do, uh, or maybe we're not doing what we thought we'd be doing, uh, but he says, you know what? I can still do something, even if it's just praying somebody else through their ministry. And so he's encouraging Timothy here. Verse 5, he begins to remind him, of his spiritual heritage. He reminds him of his godly upbringing. He writes about knowing his mother and his grandmother, and they were strong believers, and he talks about the impact that they evidently had on Timothy. Let's just say something to church kids here. You have an incredible heritage. I see a lot of young people here. You have an incredible, and I know, you know, you may hear that, and people say that a lot, but seriously, you have people that have come before you that have literally paved the way. They have fought, and I dare say, if they're still here, that means they have won battles that you don't have to fight. Because they've won some battles, they've laid the path, and you don't have to fight those battles. See, we talk about generational curses, but there's also generational blessing. You've been shown an example, given a, a pattern. But I want to tell you that's not enough. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in verse 5. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, then he says, I am persuaded is in you also, he says, yes, your faith may have started with someone else. In other words, thank God for the exampleship. Praise God for the pattern. But he says, your faith cannot just be grounded in your parents, in your church, or in your pastor. Paul says, I'm convinced that faith is also in you. And he calls it something. He says, genuine faith. That phrase genuine can literally be translated unhypocritical faith, faith that is not an act, faith that is for real, faith that is not just in appearance. See, Paul says this because when you grow up in church or you've been around the church, or you have a faith that has perhaps been handed down, it can seem like the real thing without necessarily being the real thing, question for you tonight is, is your faith genuine? No. Is it more than just an act? Is it more than just a show? Well, does it go beyond just doing certain things because uh, that's just the way we do or, or, or doing certain things because that's what's expected of you? You do realize that just because you know how to be a Christian doesn't make you one. No. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to encourage, he says, I know that your faith is genuine. But he's laying this all as a foundation because what Paul really wants to communicate to Timothy is this. Timothy, don't be ashamed. That genuine faith is unashamed. 
This is the overarching theme of this letter. Again, uh, the message of this letter is there's going to be persecution. Uh, there's going to be ridicule and resistance. Uh, that's what Paul is addressing in this letter. Uh, but he says, Timothy, just know this. I want you to know that the aim of that persecution, uh, the aim of the resistance, uh, is to cause you to become ashamed of Jesus Christ. Timothy, if you're going to have to weather this, if you're going to accomplish everything God has for you, you can't be worried about the backlash or the reproach. You can't worry, Timothy, about losing your reputation or losing your image. Uh, Paul says, Timothy, don't be ashamed, or in other words, don't be embarrassed of Jesus. You know, not being ashamed or of Christ is mentioned in verse 8. It's mentioned again in verse 12. It's mentioned again in verse 16. Three times in eight verses, the Apostle Paul speaks of the issue of not being ashamed. Not only that, he says, not just Christ. Paul says in verse 8, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. You know, sometimes we can be ashamed of our Christian associations. Oh, yeah, that's my, that's my parents. I know. They're weird. <laughs> People say, what church do you go to? Potter's House. Uh, huh? What would you say? What church? What church? Potter's House. Oh, yeah, y'all be the ones out there? Well, they do, but. You ever had somebody say, when you say the name of your church, you're like, the Potter's House. They're like, I heard about that church. You're waiting for more. You're like, what you hear? What you hear? <laughs> you just try to end the conversation. See, Paul is saying to Timothy, don't be ashamed of Christ, but also you're going to be tempted to look at me in prison, suffering. You're going to see what it costs me to stand for Jesus. And if you're not careful, you're going to find yourself being embarrassed of me and embarrassed for me. You'll be tempted, Timothy, to be ashamed of your association with me. Share with you a couple stories, one secular, uh, one from the kingdom. So I share with you about growing up and, uh, you know, how we grow I want to show you, put put the picture up of the car, if you will. Now, now some of y'all like that. And that's, and that's not the one I grew up. I couldn't find one as beat up as the one I grew up in, to be honest with you. Now, mind you, so my mom had to take me and my other friend, Russ, his mom and my mom would, would switch off, right? And, and so they had a new Explorer. And that was when Explorers first came out. I don't know if I'm dating myself, but we had this. That's the best. We had a, uh, I think this is might be an 80 uh 88 88 maybe we had a a 70 no that's a we, no this that's a 75 we had a 73 now when i showed the ladies in the picture they like that's a nice looking car <laughs> listen me and my sister were so embarrassed of that thing it had it had let me just say we call it the flintstone mobile if you know anything about flintstones we had air conditioning come up from the floor. <laughs> Little feet stick out. We're like, man, is that outside? <laughs> and so when my mom would have to take us to the school, now you got to understand, when we go to this school, it's a, it's a campus, but you got to go up this hill. It sits on a, like a top of a hill. 
and um, you have to go around a, a circle, a roundabout, and get dropped off. That thing had more smoke than a city bus. <laughs> and so when Russ's mom would take us, man, I'd, I'd be like, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. But when my mom, it was her week to take us, me and Russ tried to have her drop us off at the bottom of the hill. And that's a steep hill. It's like, I don't know if you know Prescott. The Prescott Resort is at the top. It's kind of like that. If you've ever been to Prescott, I mean, we're like, you can just drop us off. He's like, boy, I ain't dropping y'all off in no hill. She, yep, come on now. We're like, mom, no, we good. We good. You can just drop us off here, turn around, you know. No, she got to chug up. We're coming up the hill, right? And so we get, and then right when we get to the roundabout, we're like, you can drop us off here. You can just, she's like, no, I'm going to drop you off at the door. So long story short, man, we get up there, and you can't just get out of a car like that quick. Because I got I to gotta get out, and I got to let Russ, I got I to gotta move that seat up so Russ can get out the back. And we walk into school, and, and Russ wouldn't have no shame because he like, that ain't my mama. He cool. He like, man, I'm good. Y'all saw what I rolled in, you know. <laughs> They're like, Doria. But I'm telling you, man, every time she had to take I was so embarrassed, man. I was so embarrassed. I'll tell you another story. You can take that off. When I got saved, I was saved probably, man, I don't know, I would say a week. And there was these guys, this guy's named Rob Michael. He's still pastoring out in California today in San Diego. And there was another guy named Jeremiah who had actually won me to the Lord. One day they called me. And, you know, I'm newly saved. I just start coming to church. And they're like, hey, Tori, why don't you come meet up with us, da-da-da-da. And they named these streets. I'll never forget. They had a street, uh, Ray Road and Kyrene. And I'm like, okay, cool, man. I'll meet y'all over there. And they gave me the cross streets. And I'm driving, you know. And as I start driving, I start hearing something. Like, yeah, we want to let you know Jesus. Can I? I'm like, what's going on around here? Now, I don't know nothing about nothing right now. So I'm just kind of like. Man, I hear some, you know how you raise the window down. You're like, oh, man, some crazy folks out here. What, what they doing out there yelling about Jesus? And I, and I looked. I'm like, that's Rob and Jeremiah out there. Oh, smack. So, so what I do, I'm, now I'm about 12 cars back, you know, but I'm just trying to time the light where I can just keep going right by them, act like I don't even know them. So I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of timing, I'm kind of timing. And then I got, the light is, I'm about to time this thing, and I'm going to, and the car before me, that could have made the light. Y'all know that scene. They could have easily made the light. We both was going to make the light, man. But they stopped, man. So I got to stop. And I'm, now because I missed the light, I'm stopped right in front of Rob and Jeremiah. And they're like, Tori, go on, man. Pull over, man. Yeah, go on. So I pull off the road, man. I pull off the road, and I walk over to them, and I'm like, man, these jokers are crazy, man. And you know what they did, what, what, what we always do to folk. <laughs> you want the bullhorn? <laughs> like, no, I don't want the bullhorn, man. I'm, 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 well, just hold a sign. I don't want to hold a sign. I don't want to be with y'all. <laughs> Has anybody ever been there? I mean... Just me, I guess. Okay. I remember thinking, man, I'm I'm never just meeting up with these guys ever again. 
See, when you start to recognize that people who make stands for Jesus are often ostracized, they're mocked. We were out there, people were cussing at us. They're ridiculed. They're relegated to the outside of things. Listen to me tonight. When you start to see things like that, it won't be long before the devil starts saying things like, you sure you want to serve God that hard? Hey, you may not want to give your all. You may not want to be so committed. You may not, you may not want to sell out for Jesus. Look where it got the apostle Paul. Is that what you want? Let's talk about Satan's weapon. Because the devil uses fear. He wants to try to make us so afraid of everything. So afraid that you get paralyzed by fear. And you end up actually doing nothing for God. You know the truth is, can we just be honest here tonight? We all deal with fear. We all deal with fear. There are moments when hints of shame try to creep into all of us. You ever been to outreach and... You just don't feel so bold for Jesus. You got the track and you're like, Walmart Blitz. <laughs> so I had to do that for you, Dion. Dion looking at me like, come on, man. I'm killing my vibe. But you know, you're just kind of like, man. First to hand out a track or a flyer around. And sometimes we don't even know why, to be honest with you, except we know that people will reject it. I'm convinced most people who don't go to outreach or don't witness, it's not because they don't believe it's right. They know it's biblical. And it's not because of, like, oh, I don't have time. It's not because, you know, I got to work. And I know that's true for some, but I've also known people to intentionally schedule themselves during outreach times. You know why I believe most people don't witness? Because it has to do with this feeling of shame and the fear that's associated with it. See, we all face situations where we feel timid and afraid, myself included. Every one of us, we've had occasions where we have been ashamed for one reason or another to speak for Christ. And even though it's sad, it's true. And so for some here, we've been insecure. We're insecure about what to say. Others are afraid we're going to be made to look foolish. Others are afraid that, you know, people are going to make fun of us or afraid of their rejection. Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man brings a snare. You know, people kill me. They're like, man, I, I ain't serving man. I'm serving God. But you're afraid of man. Sometimes we're afraid that we've lived in such a way that if we were to speak for Christ, people who know us would look at us like, You? You? Yeah, right. Others are afraid of confrontation. Can I just say something? I'll say this here. It's very strange. There's something very strange about the individual who just loves confrontation. Just absolutely loves drama. There's something weird about that. Somebody should have said amen. <laughs> something weird about people. There are some out there. I pastor them. I call them women. But that's a whole nother. That's, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fear is a real enemy we face. Think about Peter. It's the classic case. Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. 
It says, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. Just flat out lied, rather than be identified with Jesus. Verse 71, and when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, saying, I do not know that man. A little later, those who stood by the by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Listen, if you've really been converted, it'll, it'll change the way you speak. Verse 74, then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Now, this is Peter. Peter really loved Jesus, folks. But when it came to going on record in front of people who didn't really love Jesus, fear was able to get the best of him. And he was ashamed. See, this is the real test. The real test doesn't happen in here. We're like, oh, pray, worship. Curtis gets up there. We're like, oh, yeah, that's my song. Let's be honest, it's pretty easy to not be ashamed when there's really no opposition. But when there's the possibility of a personal price that you're going to have to pay, uh, and this is what Paul was trying to stress to Timothy in our text, uh, because if you know anything about Timothy, Timothy was known uh, to have a tendency to be kind of shy and timid. Uh, and so very interesting, uh, when you read uh, uh, First and Second Timothy, uh, there are over 25 different places uh, where the Apostle Paul has to encourage Timothy to be bold. To not shy away from confrontation, uh, to stand up uh, where he needed to stand up and be strong. Uh, early in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he tells them, he tells them this. He says, if Timothy comes to you, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord. What Paul is basically telling these Corinthian believers, he's saying, listen, you got to kind of take it easy on Timothy, because part of Timothy's personality was he could become a little afraid when there was opposition. That's why the Apostle Paul has to say in our text, verse 7, he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. God has not given you that means simply um, that the fear you're having is not from God. He says God hasn't given you that. And so when you begin to stand for Jesus, when you begin to take a step forward and you're going to step out and speak for God or do something for God and you begin to get that, I mean, you know, that weird feeling that comes in your stomach or you feel that lump that comes in your throat, you feel that thing that wants to, you know, disappear, wants to make an excuse. Listen, you need to tell yourself, this isn't God making me feel this way. God hasn't given me this. Oh, it might be real. It might be uh, very tangible, these thoughts that come into your head. Uh, he says, oh, they're, they're real. They're, they're there, but they're not from God. What does that mean? That means that you don't have to accept anything that is not from God. And so instead of rejecting God, what he's saying is you got to reject the fear. Let's close then and talk about God's answer for fear, which is courage. Here's the reality. Many Christians are walking away from Jesus, not because they don't believe the Bible, 
Not because they disagree with the moral attributes of Christianity. But you know why many people are walking away from the faith? Because Jesus embarrasses them. The Christian life imposes on their image. They just want to fit in. People have a case of FOMO or the fear of missing out. They just want to follow the crowd. I don't want to stand out, man. I don't want to be different. And if they be honest, maybe they can't articulate it, but fear has them bound. But again, what, notice what Paul tells Timothy right before he tells him not to be ashamed. It's right in verse 7. He says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. But then he tells Timothy what God has given him instead. He said, God has given you power, love, and a sound mind. How do you combat fear? First of all, you got to exercise power. Know that God has given us power. That is the Greek word, of course, dunamis. And he's saying this is a supernatural power. Supernatural meaning it comes from God, and supernatural meaning it enables you and I to do what we otherwise could not do. No, the reality, reality of it is not everybody is born with boldness. Some people are like Timothy. It is their natural disposition. No. But Paul says to that person, he says, listen, though, God has given you something. No. You know, salvation is more than just coming to church. God gives you power. Uh, speaks to the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a spirit of boldness. Listen, church, we're Pentecostal for a reason. We're Pentecostal for a reason. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Nope, that's not what it says. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. You know, part of Part of being filled with the Holy Spirit is you get a boldness that it's like, where did that come from? I, it, that's not even who I am. That's not even my personality. I usually don't even know what's interesting. In the book of Revelation chapter 21, God is describing those, it's a prophetic book. He's describing those who will not make heaven their home and instead will find their place in the lake of fire in hell. In verse 8, God gives us a list. Listen to this list. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, all have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Now that's interesting because we can tell fornicators quickly, oh, you're not going to make heaven your home. Murderers, oh, yeah, you're going to make heaven your home. Liars, oh, the devil's a liar, father of a liar. But it's interesting how God starts this list off because he doesn't start with those. He first starts off with cowards. That's interesting, folks. So when he started talking about God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, we're talking about something very serious here tonight. That's why Matthew 10, 32, 33, Jesus says this, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my father. But whoever denies me before men, him 
I will also deny before my father. Interesting. He connects this, this, this denying and this acknowledging before people. Part of the reason we pull altar calls is because it takes courage to answer an altar call. Why y'all pull out? Why don't we just go? No, 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 no. That's why many times I pull altar call, I'll tell people, Jesus died a very public death. Why are you preaching this tonight, Pastor? Because as a church and as Christians, we have to win this battle. Well, not only are other souls at stake, our very own souls are at stake. Power of God comes from his indwelling spirit tonight. The spirit of God, he says, it's inside of you, Paul says. He said it is what enables us to live unashamed of Christ. This is why we can quote things like, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Not only that, verse 8 and 9, he says with this, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Speaks to dominion and authority. Listen, that God has given every believer. There is a confidence. Verse 9, he says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. Paul says it's a holy calling. And so he wants Timothy to know that his calling is not just any old calling, but this is from God. Why am I saying that? Because make no mistake about it. Pastor Williams is not telling you to be bold tonight. God is calling you to be bold. Oh, you mean it's not just CFM? No. It's not just CFM. It's not just because that's what we do. No, 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 no. That's how God does it. He's called you and I to be bold. He says, before time begin. In other words, Timothy, this has been the plan of God. And what he's saying, Timothy, although it might be new to you, it is not new to God. I mean, no, just because you just learned something doesn't mean it's barely been in existence. Just because you just discovered gravity doesn't mean it just got here. Maybe this whole boldness thing is new to you. Maybe you've like Timothy, you've just been kind of riding the spiritual coattails of the spiritual Pauls, if you will. You've just been allowing the other ones. To, oh, they're the bold ones. I'm not really like that. And like I said, you've convinced yourself that that's not really my, my personality. Or maybe you're newly saved. Either way, listen tonight. God has a greater purpose for you since before time began. He saved you for a reason. He brought you to this church for a reason. That will give you confidence and give you courage. Then Paul says, verse 7, God has given you a spirit of power and of love. This has to do with the spirit in which we're doing our ministry. It's a self-sacrificial love, the love of Christ. And what Paul is saying, he's saying you won't be so ashamed when it's not about you. Matthew 10, Jesus said, you'll be hated by everyone for my name's sake or because of me. Yeah. You know, as you remove yourself from the equation, how it's going to make you look, how you feel, the effect of Christ on your own reputation, then it becomes a lot easier to be bold. 
when it's about Christ and the love that God has for other people, when you, rep, when you recognize, man, listen, thank God somebody spoke to me. Thank God somebody overcame all the things that I'm feeling right now. And they were bold enough to talk to me about my sin and about the state of where I was. I was out running with Tyler here this afternoon. And he's telling me, man, he said I was religious a bit for a while. But then somebody confronted him with the gospel. And here he is today, saved in his right mind, married, kid on the way, destiny. Why? Because somebody was bold enough to look him in the face. We're not just telling people they're sinners going to hell. We're giving them real hope. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Here it is, unto salvation. No. Paul says, listen, you don't need to be ashamed when you're standing on the only real hope that exists in this world. Then finally he says, God has given you power, love, and a sound mind. He is contrasting the sound mind of the believer with the chaotic mindsets of the world. I mean, we're living in some strange mindset times. What he's saying is he's saying, you know why you think differently than most of the people at your work or at your school? Let me help you out tonight. It's not because you're weird. It's because they're weird. <laughs> you shouldn't be ashamed simply because your mind is sound. Simply because your mind's not all drugged out and alcoholed out and you're not always chasing your next high. Uh, he said, listen, don't, don't start thinking that you're thinking is wrong because people without the mind of God don't think like you. You're not the odd, odd one because you walk around with your pants up because you actually uh, uh, have, some, have some sense in your mind. Listen, I, I tell my kids all the time. I told my son, I was riding him to school the other day and I said, listen, I said, he's got these new headphones and I said, listen, when them folks start at school start asking you what kind of music music you listening to don't be ashamed <laughs> tell them hey, i don't listen to that and when they say oh have you ever heard of don't start feeling like man i gotta figure out what artist they talking about. i gotta go home and look that stuff no you don't Amen. don't be ashamed don't be ashamed I, I, and I know I'm a little bit older, but listen, listen, I, I, I know, I, as I mentioned to you, I grew up with a single mother, all kind, I was gambling in her kitchen, I was doing all kind of drugs, I was fornicating at a young age, but today I stand up, listen, I've been married to the same woman almost 20 years, my kids, I come home every night, I'm in town, they've never heard their dad say a cuss word, they've never seen them talk crazy to their mother, listen, why would you be ashamed of that? told my son the other day he had to skip and I'm closing he had to um basketball last season um he was um they moved him up to varsity it was a great thing but we were having a revival a state tournament and I didn't say anything to him I said look we're gonna he's 16 we're gonna kind of I want to see where he what kind of decisions he's making and I looked up in the front row my son usually sits in the front row of church both of my young kids do and I and so I'm like, hmm, TJ's up front. And I, my wife Lenore said, yeah, he decided not to. He told the coach he can't make it. And he had already missed the Friday game. And so the coach basically said, if you're going to miss the Tuesday game, he said, listen, just we're done. He made a decision. Another, another kid in our church, he, he went to the game, and so be it for him. But what was powerful about that night, Patrick Johnson was preaching, I'll never forget, when the altar call came, 
my son lifted his hand and he got saved. Can you connect the dots? Here he is. He says, you know what? I know I'm going to go to school and they're going to be saying, man, you missed a game. Why? And I said, oh, don't be telling them. Oh, I got sick or I got, you know, something came up. I had to know to tell them. I was in church. Amen. Amen. I'm not ashamed. You're not the odd one because you like church. How do you keep a sound mind? We're going to read this and we're going to pray. 2 Timothy 4.3 for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. How do you keep a sound mind? Do the work of an evangelist. Be bold in telling people about Jesus. We are the blessed ones. And if we will live, this world is not going to get any better. The message I was going to preach tonight, the world, will, they're never going to like the church. We're, we don't have to try to do any kind of things. Man, it'd be cool to just kind of, no, 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 no. The Methodists tried that. The Methodists years ago tried to just win the church. And, and now a prominent Methodist preacher recently said, he said, we thought we could change the world if we just got them into the church. But we never considered what would happen if we didn't change them first. We thought if we just embrace all their little stuff, man, man, we can win them. Or they can win us. Listen, be not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. I ask you to bow your heads with me tonight. God, we thank you for the grace of God, for the blood of